They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against, complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock without thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock of, at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Let us join our hearts in a spirit of prayer. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. The wilderness of sin. It's a compelling image, isn't it? though probably we shouldn't read too, too much into this analogy between Hebrew and English because the word sin in Hebrew does not carry the same moral connotations that we have in our own language. Yet the English translation points us rapidly to a truth of the state of mind of the people. Just weeks out of Egypt, just weeks out of slavery, and already anxious at this journey and all of its implications. Mere weeks after the Israelites bore witness to the plagues that God sent against Pharaoh, which would have been memorable, I think, frogs and locusts and blood and death, you wouldn't think that would go away in just a couple of weeks? All the way to the parting of the sea and the drowning of the Egyptian army. That's where this text is located. There even less time after the miraculous wilderness feeding, the manna that rained down from heaven and fed the people when they complained the last time. The people are complaining again. As parched now as they were hungry just a few days earlier, and apparently as disbelieving. If you ever wondered at the efficacy of miracles to instill faith in people, Think hard on this story. It doesn't work terribly well. What the English makes obvious in this story is how easy it is to be on the right track and still be in sin. Humans have always been really good at heading roughly in the right direction, listening fairly well to the nudgings of God and spirit, but not quite hitting the nail on the head, missing the mark just a little. Because sin, as we understand it, isn't actively working against God. It's not sticking our fingers in our ears and avoiding God's call, la, 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 I can't hear you, God. For the Israelites, who keep the festivals that God ordains and give thanks for their freedom with song and shouting, they're still not quite there. 
they're a little too anxious to actually settle down into this relationship with God. They're a little too caught up in their own expectations, their own ways of being and thinking and valuing to understand the full implications of this voyage through the wilderness. Now here we are. In our own day, in our own time, a couple weeks into Lent, and a little deeper into the wilderness than any of us expected, even when the trees sprouted in the sanctuary. For many of us, what was supposed to just be a quiet, introspective time has become a time instead of isolation and anxiety, where we sit not only with the parts of ourselves that we might rather ignore, but with the relentless drumbeat of fear and mortality and confusing, sometimes contradictory, information. We are, like the Israelites in a wilderness, not of our own choosing. Being led along a path whose end we hope we know, but cannot yet see. We, like they, are being asked to make rapid changes, to totally re-envision our world and our worship, how we live, how we move, and how we interact with each other. We know that some of the Israelites tried to stockpile food to keep the manna for more than a day, which wasn't allowed except on the Sabbath. And though the Bible isn't explicit on this point, I wonder if they didn't strip the trees bare of the softer leaves or whatever the first century equivalent of toilet paper was. I wouldn't put it past them, given the rest of the story. Because the truth about anxiety that has been since the beginning and continues to be for as long as we are human is that anxiety turns us inward. It puts us into fight-or-flight mode. It tells us that there's never enough. There's never going to be enough. We have to look out for ourselves and only ourselves because no one else is ever going to help us now. Anxiety lies on a very regular basis. And we find ourselves in the wilderness of sin, just as the Israelites did thousands of years ago. Walter Brueggemann, theologian that the UCC loves to claim, writes in his book about Sabbath that the Israelites in their time of slavery had a fair amount in common with us now. Because as he notes, their whole existence and their whole reason for being had been reduced to the production of building materials for the Pharaoh's building schemes. The Israelites only had value for generation after generation if they could, in Brueggemann's words, make enough bricks. It's the sort of system that gets into your head. It's the sort of system that gets into your soul when your entire life and livelihood depend on whether someone else thinks you're doing enough until we begin to use that same system to judge each other, to compete with each other, as the return on our work becomes less and less valuable. And so we have to work more and more just to be worthy, just to be enough. And the system of slavery imposed by the pharaoh isn't just held together with chains, but has been incorporated into our very self-image, into our belief system, until competition becomes a value. And collaboration, compassion, those become weaknesses, the very ones that bring us down. Having known that way of living for generations, can we blame the Israelites for doubting that anyone would ever give them anything? Doubting that anything would come without hard work and having to fight hard for it? 
Can we blame the Israelites for needing a few lessons in trust? Lessons in how to be in relationship with a grace-filled God and how to live in God's system rather than the Pharaoh's? Can we blame the Israelites for being a little bit anxious at this complete change in life and culture they were suddenly forced to contend with? I don't think we can. I don't think placing blame is where we need to be in this story. Indeed, our own journey through the wilderness isn't all that different from theirs. For we, too, live in a culture that measures worth by productivity, that sets us up for competition and puts the bottom line ahead of our very lives and well-being. We, too, are anxious, faced with living in a way that shows forth the cracks in the system, forcing us into relationships of trust, considering whether moving generally in the right direction is enough to actually keep any of us from sin in these days. If a wholehearted relationship with God meant for the Israelites trusting that there would be enough food without competition, even enough for all of the people to have their fill, if a wholehearted relationship with God meant for the Israelites being aware of the signs of water among the rocks rather than jumping immediately to the worst-case scenario, And what does it mean for us? For we are catching glimpses, even in this wilderness, of the possibilities for the world that God yet dreams for us, a world in which productivity is not tied to our ability to feed and shelter ourselves or one another, a world in which we do not have to compete for the right to health care or child care, We are catching glimpses, even in this wilderness, of the ways that we can be yet in relationship with one another, supporting and caring, even as we increase physical distance. How can we make sure that students keep eating and learning? How can we make sure that workers don't have to choose between paying their bills and spreading this virus? How can we make sure that vulnerable populations still know how deeply loved and needed they are? It's a huge shift from the way the world has been, the culture we have been used to, the ways of being that we went into the wilderness to explore in the first place. And it is anxiety-producing, certainly. We don't know our way in this new world, And what if we're hungry? And what if we're thirsty? And what if we run out of toilet paper? But the kingdom is here. Perhaps now in the wilderness, it is here even more than ever. The streams that give life are right around the corner, if we just push a little on them. The nourishment that we crave falls unfamiliar around us, enough for all, and then some. The grace of our God is here, in the courage of this community to walk into a wilderness with trust in one another, in creativity, and in our God, who accompanies us through it all. Thanks be to God. Amen.